still got my video. It's choppy, but it's it's oh, coming just, back. Oh, it just gave me it just gave me a notification that said we can't access your video. I got you. Okay, sweet. Well, we're live again. Live again. Peace, love, and meat podcast. And uh, I'm gonna do it at the front end this time. I did it at the end last time. Uh, go sign up for the newsletter yep. if you haven't done so already. Um, there's a link in the show notes. If you're on the Instagram page, there's a link in the Instagram page. Uh, when you do, you're going to get an uh, email right away that gives you a code for the Born Primitive discount code that mm. we have as uh, them being awesome partners with us and wanting to help what we do so we can help what they do. And you're wearing stuff right now Dude, of theirs. I, I'm wearing stuff right now yeah. of theirs. Like literally, it's <laughs> it's a daily. Well, the pants. It's a daily. The pants thing. are ridiculous. Like they're they're so like they're literally the most functional pant I own. But they're also yeah. the most comfortable pants I own, and I'm, I'm right now I'm yeah. wearing the uh, the regular weight or what I would call the heavyweight versus the other, which is the light. Um, yeah, I'm wearing the light. These are actually these are my preference, the regular, because you know mm-hmm. I was outside, the sun shining. Um, it's it's cool, but not cold. But yeah. I was a bit cool in the lights. These yeah. down to like literally in the 30s. Without, you know, that's walking around. Sitting in a tree stand, 30 degrees is a lot different. But, like, being up, moving right. down into the high 30s, these regular weight pants are really, really, like, they're kind of my bread and butter up into the low 70s. So, yeah, they're yeah. nice, man. Um, so, yeah, you'll get a code that'll get you uh, a little bit of a discount when you go to order anything from there. And uh, we'll have some stuff coming out with merch. We made some official moves this mm-hmm. week regarding some yeah. things which is nice that we put it put it off for a while but now things well, are it's real. just legitimizing so things and um you know yeah I was telling somebody the other day they were asking about peace love and meat and i was like look you know i'm an idiot first of all and two um you know <laughs> ross has been kind of laying down a lot of foundation stuff you know on the back end of things getting a website ready getting a mailing list organized so I can promise you, even if it feels like it's been a stall and it has somewhat like just, yeah, we've both been kind of hunting and getting ready for that stuff. So it, it took a, not a backseat, but it just kind of took a pause for a second. But a lot of that time, you know, Ross was building stuff so that it, when it starts moving forward, like, persi- you know, consistently and persistently, mm-hmm. um, it's ready to go rather than herk and jerk kind of start. So I think we're yeah. there. I think it's going to start rolling. We got some yeah. merch ideas. Got to pare those down and figure out sources and whatnot. And one of the biggest things, hurdles for me, is I want to make stuff that I want to wear. Like, I can make stuff yeah. that I know will sell. <laughs> and right. that's a very different cry from what I will wear because a lot of the shit that people buy <laughs> yeah. blows my fucking mind. So I don't want to make some stupid-ass shirt that people just like buy because it's you or I, I would rather them buy the shirt because yeah. they like the shirt in support of you and I, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's what we're trying sure. to do. There will probably, and I found, ahead. and I found a good hat. I think I found a good hat guy too. Cause that's one that always gets requested a ton yeah. is hats. And when you do, I mean, the merch world is just such a cluster bleep, yeah. you know what I mean? Of like, there's a million ways to do it. And most of them are yeah. wrong. And most of them are crappy products. And so it's like, that's the other thing. I mean, we're not a merch company. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, we're not buying some giant warehouse to turn this into a mer- Like, we just want to have some stuff that we like that we like you guys can have yeah. because you like listening to the well, show. And I think what we know? talked about too is like, at least in the... <laughs> but I still want it to yeah, be nice. I, I, that's the other thing too. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to create more shit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to create more, <laughs> yeah. more crap in this crap filled industry you know i'd like to contribute mm-hmm. something that you know a t-shirt's never going to be highly valuable but like it's a good quality shirt it's got a good design on it yep. you know it, it satisfies sure. those ends um but man it's just there's so much stuff it, you know like in the digital age i was talking to might have been greg but it's like mm-hmm. if you're not getting ahead and i know this sounds yeah. silly like if you're not actually getting ahead every single day on social media, you are losing twice as fast. You know, it's yeah. such a, Seriously. it's so, it's so crazy to me how fast paced it is. Uh, it, it's just mind blowing the stuff that you've done that it would have taken me two to three years to even figure out, you know, like it did take two to three years to figure out. Cause I wasn't like, I was just yeah. looking at all this stuff and it's like, 
well, man, can I juggle this? Can I do it all when I'm traveling? And I'm, you know what I mean? It just, it was a good time to have somebody that knew what the shit they were doing help me out because I needed it. Well, and then I look at that too, and it's like I have like the most marginal, basic understanding of that enough to get something yeah. done. But it's like even that, obviously, there's guys that could crank what out what I put, you know, what we've put together in six months, do it in yeah, a weekend. Well, you, you just fired you know? yourself, Ross. Thank you. you just, <laughs> go, go find, find one, one of them, them and then your take next it away job from me. is to find one of them and see yourself out. Yeah, <laughs> nah. that's right. No, nah, it's working out though. You're funny. Yeah, we got some fun stuff. Well, It'll it looked like good. you had some fun um, last night though. Yeah, dude. Went to, <coughs> we had uh first night of trad 3D archery yep. league at my shop uh, here in town. And I, I knew that they had done it last year. Uh, but for, I think it was like a night during the week that we had stuff going on every week. I was just never able to make it. Uh, but schedules cleared up for, for a lot of that. And so I was able to make it. The last night was the first one. And they do it every Tuesday through the fall and I think even into like February ish, it's kind of like a cold weather thing since there's no outdoor mm-hmm. ranges, uh, obviously that we can have a 7 PM evening shoot at oh, during you guys are just the cold scared. weather months. Got it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there used probably. to be a league at 7 PM and in 1930. That's yeah. true. Handmade bows, handmade and they arrows. Had, yeah. They had to make them. They had to each, walk uphill both ways each night. <laughs> yeah. They had to make an arrow before each shot. <laughs> And they were actually just shooting at animals. Yeah, there was no 3D, 3D targets, targets. Okay. <laughs> while they were moving. What a regression! <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the one of the, some of the memes that always kill me is like when it shows the old style paintings of like uh, the brutal oh, yeah, yeah. attacks and wars, and it says, "Look at no cell phones, just people yeah, living yeah. in the moment." <laughs> it's like a dude with an axe in his forehead. <laughs> oh man, I saw. Uh, I don't remember the the guy that it was, but he was um, he was a king. And it was actually the invention of a medical device. So for people that don't know, a lot of traditional archery, especially old way back on, on uh, like wooden rods, you have glue on tips. So you would have kind of like a, mm-hmm. a triangulated cone that was hollow and mm-hmm. you would glue or, you know, send you tie, whatever mm-hmm. your broadhead on. So in particular, this king was on the battlefield and an archer shot him through the cheekbone and um, he sent out for like the best doctors in all the land and nobody could really get it out. They could pull the, the shaft of wood out, but the, the, the head mm-hmm. remained. So this guy basically created, imagine, um, a straight piece of steel that you would bend and put a loop at the top or like a, a keyhole kind of shape at mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. And then it's pared down and it meets in the middle and it's wedged at the other end. You drive this spike through to create tension in there and expand those ends and that would actually push yep. into the wall of the broadhead. And it, they were able to extract it. Oh. Dude lived after that, after getting shot in the face. Crazy. Yeah, and it was a pretty gnarly point, too. I mean, it, it was like the head was like four inches long, and it had a spade oh It had a spade God. point on it. So they said that was the hardest part of the extraction was like wiggling that spade without any sedation. They got him oh. drunk as shit, they said. but Oh, I yeah. have to. I can't imagine that's, <laughs> that's not crazy. to take away from the trad night, but man, can you imagine some of those, like the, that cannonball photo of the armor armor, like some of that yeah. warfare, like it just, just wild, man. It's even, even into like the, 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 even like into the revolution. Yeah. Well above that, you know, you had cannonballs in the civil war. You first had the Gatling gun in the civil war. Uh, Think about the bayonet oh, yeah. though. Like the, the triangular shape mm-hmm. of it, like the whole purpose of that is because that's like the most mortal type of yeah. wound that there yeah, is. Yeah, it's not it's not going to self seal. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. And yeah, it's just oh man. I saw um, I saw a picture of a I think it might have been in Vietnam. Some of the soldiers had they were running bayonets and they had uh, fashioned them like they had just taken them and filed them to just put these gnarly like teeth on some of the edges, you know. Just oh, to make it, yeah, just to make them, it worse. Um, one guy in the comments did say he was like, well, they did that a lot of times just to clear brush, like that way they could saw through bamboo oh. and stuff. He was like, but it served a healthy purpose when the time came. Is <laughs> that was like the best oh line God. at the end. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to my inadequacies yes, thank you. in <laughs> the trad night, we, uh, yeah, so last night was the first night of league. Um, and it was super fun. I've never done any kind of 
like and it wasn't you know it wasn't competitive yeah. it was we even established when we got there he's like look this whole thing is just for us to have fun and have a, a night where we can all shoot together and get better at shooting our our bows and like if we keep score the you know you have scores on a scorecard for the night and then you put your score up on the grid that's on the bulletin board that you keep track throughout the year like all 12 weeks of the yep. year and he's like, we'll probably do some some prizes and stuff for the top handful and the winner and whatever at the end of the season. But he's like, it's not a, a big every week of some hardened competition yeah. type of thing. It was just super laid back. There was like a handful of kids that were there shooting that were kids of some of the people that were there. But it was super fun because I'd never done anything even remotely like structured in that way. So it was, it was cool because the way that it was set up was there was 20 mm-hmm. targets and... Ten of them were inside of ten yards in various places along. Did the they lanes. have uh, like so, yeah, any was, kind of drapery or not like drapery, but like uh, camouflage or any kind of shrubbery over the targets? He he had some shrubbery yeah. around places around uh, certain certain mm-hmm. ones. Um, had some like tree stump kind of looking things in front of a couple others, and uh, so there was yeah. a little bit. Uh, and so ten of the targets, your your target was inside of ten yards, and then the other half were from 10 to 25 because the range is mm-hmm. 25 uh, long. And so you'd go in a line and I started in lane 10 just because that was where I, I was. So my target to start was, and they're mm-hmm. all numbered. So my target to start was target number 10 and target number yep. 20. And you get two arrows in each yep. target. So you can buy, and then like on the grid, there was like, if you hit the, if anywhere on the body is five points, if you're in the vital area, it's eight. And then there's a one like medium circle that's 10 and then a heart shot or like a bullseye yep. is 12. So, and then if you miss target altogether, zero, obviously. Um, but then you add your points together for each one, mm-hmm. each target. So you've got, you know, combined score, whatever. And then you go, I move down the line. Then I'm shooting one and 11 then two and 12 all the way through. And they're all at varying distances and stuff. Like the closest one was like two and a half yards. And it was like a little raccoon thing standing yep. up. And then the farthest one was all the way at the far back wall, and it was antelope or uh, maybe it was a no, it was a bighorn standing up like all the way at the back. But then he's got like a giant T Rex one, and like there's some fun yeah. ones and stuff in there too. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how I actually was shooting. Like shooting itself felt really mm-hmm. good, and I think there's just a mental difference for me shooting at those versus just shooting at my yeah. bag every day you know i i don't know what it is in my head that i felt i felt more comfortable honestly like shooting at those and maybe it was because it's a smaller you know like in general the target is smaller than my huge bag target so i'm focusing harder i'm picking a smaller spot kind of a thing you know what i'm saying yeah there's something to that because i even even with my compound i mean i really had to fight to be on target when it was a specific target especially a blue red yellow um for some reason yeah. those really throw me for a loop like as far as mm. you know i can shoot them and i i had to but i had to really work to shoot well at those whereas like a 3d yeah. foam for some reason i don't know if it's like you just have that one like when i first started shooting 3ds you know i was like if i hit the foam insert i'm good yeah well a lot of times yes. you want to center that foam insert up and that just happens to be more or less your best shot. So I started kind of overcoming some of that fear of the target by just center massing everything. And then it's like, okay, I'm hitting groups every single time I shoot it. So let's just figure yeah. out where the heart is, put that there, you know, that kind of deal. But blue, reds, and yellows still give me a fit. I um, I am definitely not as accurate with either bow as I am on a target. As I mean, on a on an animal 3d or live. Um, I've definitely made some bad shots on those too, but in general, if I'm going to bet on myself, it's going to be on a 3d target or a live animal. Um, yeah. And it was fun. I only missed, I only missed a target mm -hmm. once and it was on a standing grizzly with his back turned. Like you're looking at the back part of them and it just like grazed off of his side because it's a real yep, thin yep. like section of it and it just kind of grazed off of him and like bounced and then hit the target wall behind because he was towards yeah. the back and that was the only one that i had like missed completely um but like i said i i felt 
like shooting, I, we talked about, uh, you and I've talked several times in the last week as I'm kind of just really shooting a ton the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I got a new kind of anchor point I'm working with that has been super solid. I'm way up higher on my cheekbone mm-hmm. than I was down low. Uh, and part of that was I, I'm realizing, and I've heard others talk about it, like, you know, I was doing the thing where I had like my middle mm-hmm. finger in the corner of my mouth, yep. right? And but your mouth moves, right. you know? So like if, if you're pulling like my, that, that part of my corner, my lip is like moving all the time. I'm realizing that's not super solid. So what I started doing was taking my index mm-hmm. finger and literally like pushing right into the, the most protruded part of my mm-hmm. cheekbone. Cause that's like, that's bone. It's not moving anywhere, you know? And so it became obviously way easier for me to at least be consistent with my draw. And then like everything, it just, makes it easier to focus on the other things that need work and dial it in from there. Cause if like you're in super inconsistent on how you're drawn back every yeah. time, then like nothing else really no, matters. I, know? um, I've made, like I said, I've made some shifts. What's really strange to me is I don't see, I see a large gap in, in, or a large change in improvement in my aim when I get alignment. Like when I, when I really focus on that retrained alignment that I've been working on, I don't yeah. get a lick of difference on my accuracy depending on my release. I've tried to do that mm. real pretty feathered kind of just drop away yeah. release with my hand and grab the golf yep. ball off my shoulder and all that shit. I just split two arrows doing that. I mean, not split them, but I mean, they were they were in the target and I shot right between yeah. them. Um, yep. I go back and I do a real pretty flowy grab the golf ball off your shoulder, split the same two arrows. So it's like – yeah. I think for me, and I, and it may change, and I may need to like resist that demon in my head that says if it's working, don't keep looking at it. Like, I may have to. Stay. Right. What's that? Oh, I, I said, said right. Ego. Yeah, you're right. And I was like, yeah, it is ego. <laughs> uh, but but nevertheless, um, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's because my fingers from deadlifting all those years are so strong, and I can just kind of like pop it and control it. But, but what they yeah. talked about, you know, they talk about finding that back wall of tension. Well, that was exactly what I talked about in the bench press. Like I wanted to build the tension in my shoulder, tricep and rear delt. So, I mean, the side delt, rear delt, mm-hmm. um, and super mm-hmm. spinatus, all that. I wanted to build that so tight that even with 500 pounds, when that was locked in, the weight would not come down any lower or touch my chest. There was a point in my, right. at my biggest at 340 pounds, I could take 525 hover it two inches off my chest, breathe and talk to you because I was locked physically with the shoulder and tricep. (laughs) And I think that's where I get a lot to here when I'm drawing back and I anchor, I feel that same kind of wedging or that same kind of, of tension in my shoulder. Um, Mm -hmm. that definitely lets me know I'm at a wall. Like I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. So when I push my bow forward a little bit to activate that click and I'm pulling the fingers back, kind of stretching the bow at both ends, when my shoulder drops, it just goes like there, you know, the finger comes yeah. away to right there. It's not, it doesn't have to do this big dramatic sweep, but my entire sure. lifting career, I was in that element of like, I'm locked in, you know? So yeah, I don't know if it's just sure. because of that, why the, the kind of like short release works for me, but I'll tell you what, I watched two guys that have killed a shit ton of animals shoot that exact same mm-hmm. way too. Um, and I know it's like a pitch or like a basketball shot. Like this, this is a very individual thing, but like we talked about trying to stay in line with what the mass is doing and figure it out. But I don't know. I'm just having a hard time with that release. Well, Everything else is good. It's just that release yeah. is not flowing. Well, we've talked about like building all of these foundation parts to the shot, right? And trying to do all of the things that were told by, by guys like yeah, yeah. Tom who are the coaches and like Joel Turner and all these guys, you know, that's like, it is a super individual thing, but those things that they're teaching help create the base of consistency. Yeah. in like, as you're building it up and then it's like for your deal, like if, what difference does it make if you're splitting arrows every time, if you can do it right. every time, Yeah, you know, like if you've got the base to be able to do the handful of things super consistently, then it's like, and well, if you're hitting the target, you're hitting right. the target, you know? And so it's, it's like a free throw. Like you said, it's like a free throw where it's, you, you still need to kn- know how to shoot a basketball right. before you can make your free throw routine or like develop how your shot builds to your body. You still need to know like, Hey, put it right yeah. here and 
get spin on it. Like there's, I think basic well, parts of what it. What I struggle that. with is when I really have that sweeping drawback or, or that kind of extension. Yeah. That is all I'm thinking about. It's like, just, yeah. just make sure you have that strong release. When I'm shooting the way that I was with my fingers, um, it's more like just stay on target name. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a right. distraction right now. And I don't know, I've heard a couple guys say that, you know, I'm overbowed to reprogram something, you know, like when I'm back mm. here, I just want to shoot it, you know, versus like having a 40 pound bow where I can get back there and like, okay, got all this good now transition into, I don't know, but did you, uh, cause I, now I don't remember from one of the times we've talked about it before. Are you doing an aiming versus more instinctive style? Well, it, so Are it's you... it's all instinctive in the sense that there's no there's no sight on the bow. You know, I use my arrow tip right. as an aim, um, and that's a little bit, you know, because a lot of guys like that full shaft, that 32 inch or 31 inch shaft. Well, I cut mine down. You know, I cut them close to the riser like a compound deal. Um, one, so I can get a little more head weight up front and two just seems to fly better for me. You know, it's just working again. I'm, I'm testing every single thing I'm telling you, but, um, mm -hmm. nevertheless, it's like, I just, I'm really, really trying to, to respect archery as a whole, you know, cause there's a lot of people that have given me advice, you know, like from Jeff Hairston to Mr. Clum, mm -hmm. to, to Mr. Snyder, like all these guys have given me a, a tremendous amount of influence via their words, direct or, you know, through their medium. And it's like, I want to try that, but man, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not really, uh, I mean, I kind of was that way in all my lifts and powerlifting too. I just kind of found what worked and built. And that's, that may just be what I have to do. Cause like, I don't know if it's the Joel yeah. Turner shot IQ where I can't, override my brain thinking about that release but it's like i'm hitting what i'm aiming at so you know yeah <laughs> consistently yeah. not just like one out of five yeah and, and more you know? so it's the correction of where i was aiming and anchoring that made the sure. accuracy difference like hyper repeatable yep. like you know yeah so we'll see for sure um completely shifting gears i'm gonna try something okay. here because i want to see if you can see this can you see this? I see something loading. Yes, I can. Have you seen the Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou trailer no. for the fight? Okay, I want you. I'm. We're. I'm. Gonna, this is going to be on video. It's on YouTube, but I'm, we're going to watch this because I want you to see this because it is, is it awesome. All right. Yeah. Let's see. Yep. Can you hear it? <laughs> This is good. I'll tell you right now, I just got, I literally just got goosebumps under the shirt. Um, <laughs> that's why I wanted to man, show you, dude. That I was awesome. One, it, um, and that's so good. I don't know why I kept going back to James Bond other than the song. It kind of felt like that James yeah. Bondy feel. I thought so, but too. dude, that was, that mm -hmm. was really, really good. And I like what I like about it is you know that they're both in on it, you know, and it's like, okay, yes. this is, this is a better way than the, the Connor McGregor way of like the shit talk. Like, I'm sure it's going to come. Yeah. But man, oh yeah, for sure. Somebody said we need to make this an event. 
bigger than just like, yeah, it's the two men, but like, let's build this thing up different. Like this is a colossal yeah. meeting of two Titans at the, you know, at the peak of their respective sports. I mean, Ngannou's story is incredible. Tyson Fury's story is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, you know, somebody lays $5 million on the line for you to fight one or the other. Who are you fighting? I mean, I'm not fighting any of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're both twice my size. Yeah, little Ross. <laughs> but I, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. The, because, the, I mean, the whole thing with how, why Francis is in this fight is because prior to him when he was in MMA like his whole thing was he'd crush you mm-hmm. with a punch like he was the heavy handed mm-hmm. dude you know and it's like the and and they're both t- I forget how giant fury actually is just oh, yeah. physically 69 yeah. dude like 270 pounds at 69 like he's a offensive like bigger than a left yeah. tackle and it's it's crazy and is I mean obviously the style but do you think just because he was known as more of a striker in MMA that it really will be even much of a match as a boxer because he comes from the striking thing I think we're gonna find will it be like a Floyd and Floyd and Connor well I heard somebody say this and it might have been Tyson reiterated it for sure but I think there was another sportscaster, um, one of the old boxing guys. Remember how they used to do the the Sunday morning reporters? It was one of those guys, I yeah. believe, that said it first. But he was like, I'm not a Connor fan. I don't like the spectacle. I don't like all that stuff. He was like, he just went 10 rounds with the greatest fighter of a generation, if not of all time. And he was like, yeah. whether Floyd was on the gas the whole time or whether it was Floyd was picking him apart, yeah. Floyd looked very much like Floyd Mayweather. You know, he, he didn't yeah. appear, you know, to, to change his game approach to Connor at all, which would then elicit a, a very positive response to Connor's outcome. Yeah, he gassed out. Like, he absolutely gassed out. Um, but Floyd knows 10 rounds. Like, Floyd knew how to prep mm-hmm. for 10 rounds. Connor was doing it for the yep. first time. Just like, you know, a guy that's mountain savvy who's done it for 20 years, I can have the best training protocol, but until you get out there and test it, and know what to do, yeah. you're not going to know. Um, so I, I actually fall into that camp. I liked older, up-and-coming Connor a lot more than I'm the champion Connor. I liked yeah. what I saw as far as a man trying to do something different. Tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, to get back to Nganu and, and Fury, my fear for Nganu, and this is – this is not being a striker myself. This is just understanding and talking to people that fight um, professionally is that a lot of people look like heroes with those four ounce gloves. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people hit hard with those four ounce gloves. The boxing glove is an entirely different thing. And Tyson used to talk about how he would rearrange the stuffing in there to get his knuckles mm-hmm. right. You know, he was always pushing that glove back so he could get his knuckles where he wanted them. I'm sure in Ghana, I mean, Tyson's training in Ghana. Like, that's that's scary yeah. enough in and of itself. So he's going to learn some of those tricks. But it's also going to be one of those things. Did Tyson do it every round? Is he going to remind Francis every round to do it? Is Tyson right. Fury going right. to automatically go to his corner and start floating those ring or fo- floating those gloves like they do to get them tight, mm-hmm. get them right around the knuckle so when you hit it, it really impacts? That's going to be the deal breaker for me is Nganu's going into the swamp. Like he's going into uncharted territory and Tyson Fury's living mm-hmm. in the swamp and he's proven himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that Fury beat Wilder, I mean, just on paper, it doesn't make sense that it would happen at all. In aesthetic, it doesn't make sense that it would happen at all. And not particularly no, close. And either. I mean Wilder looked very human. Very, very human. Yeah. And um Well, and the thing with him though is the same kind of thing which why everybody is uh attracted to Francis in this fight is because Deontay had like the strongest, most devastating punch since Mike Tyson, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and arguably in terms of poundage, maybe as the same or more in terms of his like actual ability to hit, you know? So everybody's whole thing was like, all he needs to do is just land the one, you know? And that was like the whole bill. One guy just needs to land one punch. And that's kind of the same 
approach like everybody's thinking with Francis is like, dude, he just needs to land the one. I'm like, okay, but you're asking him to go this long just to hopefully land the one against this dude who that's not going to be a very easy thing a terrible, to do. Terrible comparison, but like how Strickland fought that last MMA fight. He just worked the yep. body, man. He just he worked the body yeah. and opened that jab. Worked the body, opened the jab. Worked the body, opened the jab. I think that's how you're going to have to get Tyson Fury down because he's so tall. If you're going to punch up at a guy the whole fight, that's a that. And Francis is Francis is what six four, six five. Like Francis is they're, pretty tall. They're too. tall, and it's not going to be a significant striking yeah. difference like six two, six nine. But I'm telling you. Yeah. Stand stand in the gym sometime and shadow box straight forward for five minutes and then punch up for five yeah. minutes. It's a different world. <laughs> yeah. It is a different totally. world. So I think to get Tyson down to his size, he's got to work the body. He's got to aim at the liver. He's yeah. got to aim at the belly. He's got to get him ducking down so he can work at an even level on that jab, you know, or the cross. Yeah. Like, dude, I think I think Nganu can cross Fury – all day long, if he stays in that body, if he gets him dropping down, gets mm-hmm. those hands coming down to the body, I don't care how much he tucks that chin into the gloves, that cheek's open, that ear's open, and you come to those side of the head shots enough, it's damage. Like, it is damage. Yeah. So I'm very excited yeah. for the matchup. I think there's a lot of, like, there's comparative excitement. You know, like, the size difference mm-hmm. is going to be good because like, it's not going to be massive. Like, Wilder was much lighter than Ganu. You know, so – and Ganu's weight's going to be there. Fury's got 30 pounds on him, 25 pounds on him. He's got four inches of height on him. He's got probably three inches of reach on him. You know, so there's a lot of variables there where Ngannou is in the shark's tank. I mean, in my mind, you're walking into the, the boxer to beat right now's dungeon. I just yeah. don't think, as I'm talking this out, kind of relaying this, <clears throat> it can end early. I'm betting on Nganu in under three or or Fury beyond that, like k- kind of mm-hmm. it's it's going to be one of those. If it makes it to three, then it's going to be it'd be Tyson. Yeah, by, I, I just think so because I think Nganu. Yeah. I, I am sure he is conditioning his life out right now, but again, Fury's been there. He's gone the he's he's gone Never the distance, it. dude. And it is, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've rolled four rounds of jujitsu and then rounds five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, what they looked like, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I can kind of respectably against someone of equal pace win or, or hold my own very well. You start getting into that deeper water where I'm going with somebody better than me for the first four rounds. Well, it shows up very, very quickly and I don't want any more by the mm-hmm. fifth round. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I, this is going to go one of two ways. I think you're going to get a lesson on big man boxing, if it goes the, the distance, Fury's going to show you how to pick apart an opponent. I think if it goes past three, Fury drops him in seven. That's what I think. Mm. I think because I just don't think Ngannou has been that deep. I saw him get a little fatigued a time or two in the UFC. He was heavier then, not as focused on his conditioning. But I saw him get a little tired yeah. a time or two. I've yet to see Fury keep coming, not, not keep coming. Like, he just got right. that gypsy shit in him or something like it's, it's just not, he's just not gonna <laughs> it just makes no sense like even if my favorite thing is just like how everybody looks yeah. at the two of them and you're like you take somebody off the street and all you do is show them a picture of fury standing there and francis standing there and you're like which one of these is the guy who's going to win this fight and is probably one of the best boxers of all time and just by visuals alone, everybody's like, oh, it's yeah. Francis. Right. <laughs> You're like, uh, no, right. it's not. It's the chubby-looking dude who looks like he's completely out of shape. I saw a guy. I saw, <laughs> like, it's there was so a meme weird. the other day that, like, Tyson Fury's really got some balls. If he wins, he's going to get canceled. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. What do you think for for Francis from a – like? the whole thing for a business standpoint, him getting out from underneath Dana and UFC and everything with his like getting out from the whole contract issues that he's been having for those last few years. And then trying to do this. Do you think he ever, cause I don't know if he'll ever come back to UFC as it, it currently exists. My- and so he's going to kind of have to do these like one off, fights third party like run and uh, you know he's obviously getting the I, I saw he's making more on this fight than his total amount he made from ufc yeah and i mean that's from this fight so 20 year old kid 
uh, I might have different advice for. You know what I mean? Like Ngannou has run, he's yeah. run the gamut of the UFC. Like he's been the man. So I think, yeah, I think it's a graduation move for him. You know, he's kind of done his thing there. What's what is the win in staying there and fighting a recycled group of guys or the up and comer that is ev- inevitably going to be beat you? You know, like that day will happen, yeah. and it can be from someone yeah. who is deserving or someone who just catches you. I think, as someone as you just said, who out earned himself and and the wars he went through and the people that he faced because he did not have an easy run um yeah i think it's a as a businessman you have to look at it and say well done as an athlete i think you have to look at it and say is he really at peace with the ufc as far as i did all i could and this is this is how i stay motivated and grow and finally get the money that i deserve it does seem to be that the ufc is in progress of doing better by its athletes. And I don't think, I don't think the average person understands. Cause I mean, you know, Bo was there and we know some, I know a couple fighters yeah. and whatnot. And the guys that seem okay with what they're getting paid are the guys kind of in that second tier because they're getting big money relative to their result, you know, like scale wise. Sure. I think what the problem sure. is, is that you've got guys at the top who are like, a Volkanovsky or an Islam or those, those caliber of guys, they're getting good paydays, but it's like, is it all pay-per-view? Is that how Connor gets the, the 10 X contracts? Like, is it just Mm -hmm. pay-per-view? Because I can tell you as a fight fan, I am more interested in Islam Volkanovsky than any future Connor fight at, by, by a 10,000 to one margin. That Islam Volkanovski yeah. fight they just signed is going to be insane. Two ninety four is going to be insane. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the thing. I think they got to get these guys paid. I think it's very very hard for a group of guys that are truly modern day gladiators to be paycheck to paycheck almost in some of those situations. I mean, you've heard of these guys, yeah, um, yeah. Or you know, maybe maybe they deserve to do a little better. But when you're looking and you see the volume of money in pouring and the pay-per-view money that's in pouring and the ticket sales. And then you see Dana White just bought his 14th house and his 37th Rolls Royce or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like as an individual, I mean, I felt it in powerlifting, you know, like I felt like I helped some of these companies become what these companies were. And I'm looking and I'm not getting any benefit of that. So I I understand that sentiment, but also being on the other side of it and understanding business better you know, you, you can't just look at a guy that fought three times and be like, oh, we're going to give you the lion's share. You know, so it has to be earned. Totally. It has to be matched by the pay-per-views. It has to be matched by the competitive willingness. You know, like, are you willing to fight three or four times a year if asked as a champion? That kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a lot to it. Well, when you look at it, and you look at it from, I mean, what what the UFC is at its core is like a superstar mm-hmm. sport. You know what I mean? Like, you have to have from a business standpoint, like you have to have the, the names that people want to see at the top of the card in order to make the fight a lot of money, you know? And so when I I'm looking at this and seeing like Francis does this on go number one on his own essentially and dwarfs what he would have made in another title fight in the UFC, he had already established sort of his own economy as a business around it. So like you said, just not, you're you're not going to get a dude who's on a good run, three or four fights in, you know, and he's beaten maybe one or two good guys. And now he's all of a sudden going to demand that he makes a hundred million dollars. Like right. it's not going to work, but you take somebody who's a, a champion or has de- defended it a couple of times at that point, And they're like, I could go do this over here and make five times what I would make in a yeah. single fight. And, and at that point, I think it's, I'm curious to see if all the other stars that are in the UFC see Francis success like right away. And the guys at the top that you were talking about that are the ones that are having the issues already, they're like, okay, well Francis can do it. You know what I mean? Like, and, but that, and then that's the issue of the whole league in general is it's like, well, it's kind of a league built on the Mm -hmm. superstars. Well, I think, you know, so I think that, uh, is it prime or one that is, they called out Dana white last week. It was was one. Oh, I didn't see that. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. It was the, the owner called out white. But nevertheless, um, you know, it's like, dude, 
you don't understand how big Prime and I mean not you but like the average person doesn't yeah. understand yeah. how big Prime um, is overseas. Like Mikey Musumichi is living in Singapore to fight on the the one circuit or the the Prime circuit, and uh, you know it's like he's making five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year under contract doing jujitsu. Yeah, and yeah. what you have to think about. Um, Habib made a point of it when he was fighting Connor. He said, all you guys do this for Ireland. He said, Ireland's five million. He said, I'm Russian. I'm Muslim. He said, billions, billions, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I think Americans get a lot of that attitude of like, okay, the UFC is here, so it's the best. I'm not saying that the average MMA fighter in prime is c- comparable to a UFC fighter. But the people yeah. are there. The fans are there. The ticket sales are there. The pay-per-views are massive over there. So the money is coming. I think the organization is just structuring itself for big game play to where it can actually go ahead, ahead with UFC. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a viable option. Um, not necessarily. It's going to be like a Bellator. You know, it's going to be a secondary option. Yeah. Um, but that guy seems to be wanting to throw as much money with uh, some Saudi backing because the same group that was trying to get all the NIL stuff in Saudi Arabia is pumping money into that. So the money's yeah. going to be there, and that that's going to come down to the question: is does the fighter want the money or does he want the best fights? And yeah, I think, and it'll probably take a while before those become the same. Yeah, thing. I, I mean, you I know. think in you know, like you said, one athlete will create change. So Ngannou is a, a ripple in the pond, but I think that other fighters that may not have the legitimacy to go, okay, I want to fight the heavyweight champion of the boxing world. And I want to be the promoter on this. And I want to do this and this and this guy might look at prime and be like, Hey, you know what? I'm 25 years old. I'm three and two in the UFC. They're offering me, you know, a million dollars for two years to go over here and and fight. Mm. Chances are at three and two, he's not going to make a million dollars in the UFC next year or in the next two years. So you're going to see those guys. You're going to see guys that are frustrated probably bounce. But I think Dana White's got an amazing organization. I just think that it's probably run a little bit his way or the highway. But now that the WWE's involved, mm-hmm. I've even seen that the UFC has to acknowledge that they're going to become an entertainment business at more of a percentage right. than a fight business. But that doesn't mean that the fights will be staged. It means that the event right. arenas are going to be more theatrical. It means the intermatch or the... In- Going to start being in football stadiums like yes, WrestleMania. Yes. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. pyrotechnics yep. and yep. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, is it good? Is it bad? Or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I like the YouTube fights. You know, I don't like all the hoopla and the commercials and all that stuff. I like to watch yeah. a bunch of old fights and stuff like that. <laughs> right. I'm going to take a break real quick. I got to fix this buzz right. I have going on in my headphones. Sweet. Boom. We're, we're back. back. I, I imagine that sound like I'm just yeah exactly from the side of the screen. <laughs> um, I was gonna ask you because with the with all of this stuff, because I thought, and I don't think that there's any way they'll ever fight now just because of what Francis is doing. But the one that I think everybody really wants to see now, because I didn't think it would have been a fight worth it until he came back last year and did what he did with John Jones, yeah. like. Because, A, I mean, he's just yeah. old compared to, I mean, like in terms of mileage, yeah. you know what I mean? And then having taken so much time off from do, from fighting and stuff like that. But then to, to come back and do what he did last, however many yeah. months or whatever it was last year, into yeah. last year, whenever it was that he did, like unreal. But with him having, with Francis having a handful of years younger on him, you know, I don't know. I just think that would have been like a really fun one to be able to. Man, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it would have been fun to see. But everybody that I've I've talked to um, in regards to Jones is that he is just like dominantly superior and just mm-hmm. uses an, as much as he has to. Like he does in every aspect, yeah. not just like the, you know, Francis is amazing, but he's got like a couple of things that he's exceptional yeah, yeah. at, you know, but. That's kind of the case with every aspect with Well, Jones was saying John. that uh Gordon gave him nightmares at night, you know, like the the 
the jujitsu that Gordon was sharing with him was like just crushing him. So it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I admire and respect the fact that one, you know, Gordon's not hurting his career by training John Jones, but John Jones is actively seeking out the best guy he can to get instruction from on this stuff. So Mm -hmm. I don't know who would you, who would you want to see Jones fight like as a, as a true matchup right now? I don't know. Heavyweights aren't the division for me right now in the UFC. I don't think it's so the, either. It's the 155, honestly, 170. Like in, in, in UFC, the actual heavyweights have never really been that, though. Like, they never, like the heavyweights in the UFC never really had the same kind of, I don't know, like public pull that heavyweight boxing oh, yeah, yeah. did when like when that was at its you know that's why this fight i think is so yeah. cool because it's like and that's why everything with tyson fury lately has been just like well yeah bringing back the the meat hammers yeah. of you know what yeah. i mean but I, i've always kind of thought like the middleweight guys like that those three or four classes right in the middle were always kind of more the the sweet spot for the ufc because it seemed like those guys were more mixed martial yeah. artists and the big guys, anyway. Yeah, well, that's you know, like they kind of fell into, they kind of just fell into that. We're just the strikers because we're. Yeah, huge, well, that's the. I mean, know? that's a perfect way to put it because uh, I was listening to the guys talk on a on a jujitsu podcast. Um, Nicky Rod and his brother were talking, and Jay was like, "I've got a harder road than you do because at years, at, you know, you're a freak athlete in a heavyweight division, mm-hmm. and you know jujitsu." He was like, "A lot of big guys just know the basics and they smash." So he's like, the fact mm-hmm. that you have technical jujitsu as a big guy gives you a huge advantage. And Jay was like, at my weight division, you know, 155, 170, whatever, um, everyone has good jujitsu. So it comes down to yeah. factors of speed and strength and, and everything else. I think it's the same thing in the MMA. You watch, you know, a Charles Oliveira Islam fight, you're going to see the potential for ground game, standing and striking. I mean, it's it's a real expression of MMA. You watch Derek yeah. uh, Derek Lewis fight somebody. It's just going to be a slugfest, you know, until it goes to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's going to be some sloppy ground and pound kind of game. It's just not yeah. the same thing. And to me, that middleweight division, man, it is stacked. It is stacked. Yeah, I think that's why John has always seemed a little bit more terrifying. Yeah. To me, then, like, because I mean, for what he usually did until this last, he did heavies this mm-hmm. last one, but he's he was usually yeah. light heavy. That's where I think and he's most dangerous. Division, yeah, and I mean, just being that size as a light heavy, because that's what two ten is the mm-hmm. top end. Yeah, it was two sixty five right? his last fight, wasn't he? He was maxed out. But but yeah, but the light right, heavy two right. ten cap is yeah. two ten right, and like to have a dude that's that big yeah. be what he is. I'm just like, that is just terrifying. Who, where would you put him on the list of across, across all of the weights? Like, where would you put Jones on the list? I got to put him. I mean, as far as just the UFC MMA is concerned, Mm -hmm. man, he's got to be top two for sure. If not the best, do you have a, do you have a five? Do you have a top five? See, that's where you get me in trouble because you don't need to no, be in no, any no, specific no, no. order I'm unless you saying, have a clear number one. You know, it's yeah. like when you say Khabib, obviously undefeated, yep. incredible champion, ducked a lot of fighters, dragged out a lot of contra- you know, like contracts that were could have been fights that weren't, missed weight. Like right. he he's the goat when it comes time to throw punches, but it was getting him to the place to throw punches that was the battle. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say Habib. I'm going to say Jones. I got to say GSP. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just talking, those are those are like my three kind of like technical, if I could build a three-headed monster, yeah. it would be of those yeah. three. Um, from there, man, it gets a little, it gets a little wishy-washy for me. Um, golly, I don't know. Like, Anderson Silva? Yeah, I mean, he's got to be up there. Um, I, I definitely like him in that 5-6 range, but I just don't know who would be 4-5 above him. You know what I mean? Like That's kind of what I'm – because he had some things that I didn't like. You know, he, he, he had yeah. some stuff that was problematic for me um, just throughout his career, and it's like 
I don't know. Is that the guy? I mean, on skill set, yes, he's definitely top five. But just in fighters that I would want to watch and put money on. Well, there was that run when he was unstoppable. When he was the spider, yeah. like he was just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy that I used to love to watch that kind of had a run was Crow Cop. Um, I would mm-hmm. not put him in that category of top five for sure. But man, he was, he was, especially when he. Where's Connor? Well, I mean, it's like, are we talking about the legacy? Because he's 0 6 his last six yeah. fights, you know? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> that's why you I know, was wondering because it's like, like 2000. From 2012 to 16 or 17. He was like, yeah, yeah. 50, you know, 12 to 16 when he was, especially after, after the, um, Gosh, who's the guy he got in just a second? Um, not Carlos. Uh, come on, I can see his name or see his face. Yeah, Aldo? Jose Aldo. Yeah, when he got him in like yeah. seven seconds or whatever with that left, yeah, um, mm-hmm. that would have just emotionally probably catapulted him into my top five for sure. <laughs> but yeah. money's a bitch, man. Uh, something has changed that man for the worse as far as his fighting preparation. Yeah. I think he's got – I mean, for one – Rocky three, yeah. man. Well, he's got, he's That's got what it Dylan is. Danis around him, which is a, you know, he's not a very good, mm-hmm. I mean, relatively speaking compared to the best in the world today, he is not the yeah. best jujitsu practitioner, but he's Connor's coach. I think he's more of a yeah. yes man, hanger on fun guy. Hmm. Connor doesn't need that. I don't think Connor needs people like Mickey, you know, like in his mm-hmm. ear, keeping him because he's out of control. You know, if, if I was yeah. looking at myself and my, in stages of my life when i had good people around me good coaches good teammates i was a better version of myself as a lifter when i kind of drifted mm-hmm. and did things on my own you know when you're not really accountable to other people you can get off track a little bit and who's going to tell that man no you know everybody that's right. around him has got their hand out just wanting to be a part yep. of the ride so i don't know man i would love to see him just because i know my own feelings and struggles to get back to a level, you know, I think it would have to just be that might catapult him back in the top five. If he comes back and like gets his shit together. Yeah. Just because it is the hero story. Like he got back up and kept getting back up and he tried different Mm -hmm. things. You know, I'm rooting for the guy. I just don't out and out love the guy. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know the the top five is so, because after the top three for me, it just, it gets so muddy. Like there's 25 yeah. guys. There's, there's, I was going to say there's 10 guys that could be three, four, four five, or like six, four, yeah, five, yeah, and for six sure. or whatever. Yeah. Who is, so the, what I would consider like, I mean, do you go back the, to like the Dan Severins? Do you go back to like the Ken yeah. Shamrocks? Like, do, do you go back that far? I don't oh, think they were Ken better Shamrock. fighters. I don't like technical skill. They might be, they might've right. been tougher, you know, like those right. guys, they might've been tougher. But I don't think they're better technical fighters by a long stretch. You know, the the game has just in evolved the, so much in the last five years. In the what I would consider the like the heyday of the USC would have been like oh five to twenty twelve. Yeah. Like the guys that were around that time. That was like, I don't know, something about it. Like that was just when it was the most yeah. fun to watch. Who was your favorite during like that? that stretch of time did you have one that was because uh, mine was matt yeah hughes. dude he was amazing like, i freaking loved matt hughes during that stretch and forrest too like forrest was yeah, awesome we'll see forrest was a but, local guy he's a cincinnati guy so he yeah. was always one that i rooted for um you know to kind of go back even further um i i don't know I, I loved some of those early like the video productions was the rental place over here and we would go get the ufc fights when i was a kid you know like middle <laughs> yeah. school high school but i loved shamrock because he looked he reminded me of mm-hmm. um in blood sport the uh, the bad guy because he came out you know he always had mm. like the black on and he just jacked his the shit. black yeah um shamrock mm-hmm. was a big one. Oh gosh you know bj penn was always a guy that i, I liked watching fight I was say um too. another guy that i liked watching fight was uh well i'll tell you what's his name he's the bare knuckle guy now my uh mikey uh God, what is his name? I can't think of it, but he's got he went bare knuckle now. Mike Perry, he's doing pretty good. I mean, I I wasn't like an out oh. and out UFC like diehard fan of yeah, his, yeah, yeah. but you knew you were going to get a war or he was going to get knocked the hell out. Like he was going in like yeah. a dog. Um, 
man, Kimbo Slice. What about those days? Like, Kimbo, dude, Rampage. Yeah. Dude, when Rampage was power bombing <laughs> well, people. Dude, I, that's what I was thinking with the... Liddell was a big one, too. Like, was this, that was a... That, that's what I was thinking. T- talking about how it was like a superstar yeah. thing, right? Like, the guys that were in that era are still yeah. the superstars of that sport. Well, I you think it's I mean? one of the... It's, it's when crazy. the sport... Okay, so it took it from like that video productions rental VHS yes. to mainstream. Uh, yeah, Monster sure. got behind it huge, and they were putting them everywhere. Dan Henderson, a uh, guy that I got to work with via Monster, unbelievably phenomenal fighter. Yeah. And like another guy that I love too, Hendo was just an amazing guy. He's a good dude. Mm-hmm. But that era really, it's kind of where jujitsu is right now. Like you're starting to see that celebrity threshold of the guys at the B team yep. and Gordon and whatnot. Yep. Um, I think in 10 years we'll look back and those guys will still be relevant superstars, not necessarily on the mats. But they're going to be commentating. They're going to be hosting events. They're going yep. to be doing stuff. Um, but it's it's cool to see because it's it should be. I mean, like there should be people that that keep evolving the sport. But Leota Machida, dude, he was so <laughs> badass. Um, Boss so Rutan, like those guys, man. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, who's your favorite fighter of all time? Like, who's your favorite? Like boxing, anybody. Man, well, I, I, if well, I'll do UFC, just because of the time. It probably would honestly be Matt Hughes as like my favorite, yeah. just because of the time period. Like that was when I started yep. watching, like middle, like we were in, I think I was like in seventh or eighth grade. In his, oh, which fight was it? It was one of his like first giant. I can't even remember which fight it was now. It's going to bother me. But uh, like him and Forrest were probably up there for me at the top during that time because that was like right when I'm being introduced to the whole sport in general. And they were like the guys that I I yeah. loved, like just watching during that time. Uh, but I loved watching Machida, though. Like he was the one when every time he had a fight, like it was because it seemed like every time he fought, most of the time, everybody's like, oh, I don't know. He might. It's it, it was very like sporadic yeah. with him being a favorite or whatever. And then he'd come in and just, I don't know, just do what he does and end dudes. Yeah. And it was like, how did, he seemed like such a mystery to me for some reason for a lot of stuff, which is what I thought was cool. But I don't know if I have like a boxing favorite, but like the whole boxing thing was kind of was kind of before yeah. me. Like when it was at its biggest, you know what I mean? Like I was around, I was alive in the nineties, but I was Mm -hmm. young. I was a kid, you know? So it wasn't like, I remember going to parents' house for one of the Tyson, like a parent's friend's house for one of the Tyson fights. Um, actually I remember being at the house for the, uh, the Holy fight. Like I I remember that one. Like I, I remember being around for that one, but that's like, that's as much as it was ever in my life growing up. And so like the MMA kind of came in at that time where I was at the age where I'm like, okay, this is fighting. Like I didn't know boxing as a sport, you know, and nobody was, it wasn't big anymore. Like my entire, you know, teenage years and up, like Manny was the biggest name in boxing, you know, and that was it. So I don't know if I've got a favorite in that, (sighs) but I'd probably say either Matt Hughes or Forrest would have been my favorites for. Yeah. As far as boxing, I mean, I, you know, I was born in 82 Tyson kind of hit his stride around 85. So, you know, I'm five, six, seven years old when he's in the, in the crux of like just dominating. Yeah. And we used to, my, my papa, he used to watch Friday night fights on ESPN all the time. Yeah. And he was like, if you really want to see good boxing, you'll never have to pay for it. He's like, all these guys right here are fighting to live. You know, because it was those young Mexican boxers a lot of times and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So from a technical standpoint, I learned a lot about boxing watching Friday Night Lights. Plus, you had some great commentary on there, like really good commentary. When the HBO guys would come over and do Friday Night Lights it, or Friday Night Fights, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. But I grew up in the in the Tyson era, and short yep. of you know maybe like Michael Jordan. But his, you know, his were even bigger than Jordan's because you got to see Jordan 82 times yeah. a year, you know, and Tyson yeah. was just like 
holy shit, man. It was a, it was, yeah, it was like front page news when he fought. And my papa bought several of the pay per views, and it seemed like every one he bought was like 30 seconds, 57 seconds, and he would cuss the TV. <laughs> Like you would not believe because he paid the money for it, but that's what you paid right. to see. Like you paid for that. You know, you wanted to see that, um, man. And, in, in UFC, probably my favorite guy all the way down the line, just that I, that I dedicated to watch was probably Robbie Lawler. Like him. Oh, yeah. I, he was just tough as nails. You know, you, you knew you were going to mm. get a fight and that's what I liked about him win or lose. Like you were going to get a fight. Um, that one match where they're both just bleeding like crazy, and then he goes off, you know, and like screaming at each other, like "Come on, come on!" Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I got goosebumps again. So it's like uh, I don't know. He was just a guy that I really I liked his side story. He didn't have a lot of bullshit, you know. He just a tough as nails dude. I was just looking at. The the one the the fight that I was talking about was the first fight with Matt Hughes and GSP. Yeah. I remember that one in two thousand six. Um, that was UFC sixty five, <laughs> and that was the one he and he lost that one. Uh, but I, I like I remember that being like the first huge like title fight I was pumped about because it was like my my favorite my favorite guy going. Yeah, that was oh that was the freaking superman punch that gsp landed yep. on him was that one. Oh man what a where time do you put uh where do you put gaichi i don't know i'm like you i have like my top three or yeah. four and they're probably pretty pretty much the same i mean gaichi kind of falls but, into that okay at his best he is a top five guy yeah you know and he's yeah. never been bad you know yeah. and there's so many guys like yeah. that poye He's the same kind of way too. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, Gaethje mm-hmm. just fucking rocks people though. Have you seen those pictures yeah. after the like the last six opponents of Gaethje after their matches? Uh-uh. Oh, you need to look it up. I mean, because I've seen one that's all of his opponents. It's like their face after the fight and his. <laughs> Some of these people look like they got beat by baseball bats. Yeah, really? Who, uh, Islam said he was it Islam that said he hit harder than anyone he'd ever felt. I don't remember wow. who it was, but it was it was one of the top guys right now that was like, I've been hit by everybody, and Gaethje, he hits two weight mm-hmm. classes up. You know, that kind of thing. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, oh, man. I'm, now I'm just reading all of the other Matt Hughes fights. I forgot about Matt Sarah, like the big, huge rivalry between those yeah. two. You know an animal that I loved in the UFC, and he went Josh crazy? It was Jeff Monson. Oh, that was a good one. Do you remember too. when he uh, stripped down naked in, in protest of a fight in the middle of the <laughs> ring and walked out? I forgot Dude, he about since that. Uh, he since uh, turned in his citizenship to the U.S. He's a Russian citizen, and he's covered in propaganda style tattoos all over his body now. I mean, he's covered anyway, but like he's got these big right. Cyrillic tattoos all over his body. But he's doing the you know Kim Atlet or. Uh, He's the older guy, the wrestler from Russia, like the sixty-something guy that does the pull-ups and the curls and all that. Oh, Monson yeah, yeah, just yeah, fought yeah. him and got ragdolled. Yeah, no way. Uh, that guy still competes. Like they have masters classes over there. Like they have heavily attended competitions for like fifty and sixty-year-old wrestlers over there. That's yeah. awesome. Like he's still making good money. He's making more money now than he was in the eighties. He said, you know, because sure. he's visible. But like. Sure. Yeah. It's just insane that these guys like they draw a full house to fifty year old wrestling events. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> well, okay, this is a this is a big exodus from that, but it's also something that's kind of poignant to the time. But also, I don't want to delve too deep into it. But I think that right there is a good pivot point. Um, I saw a video uh, earlier today of just like people getting. This was in Israel in uh, the Hamas situation. People were just standing completely helpless. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's a terrible situation. But Mm -hmm. I think when you look at these people, uh, maybe on the on the Hamas side where it's, you know, I don't want to glorify any of it at all, but it's like 
this is a bigger meaning than just war. You know, like to them, it's a it's a holy war. Um, I think those people view things very differently in how they view themselves, their bodies, whatever. It's amazing to me when you see these like cultures around Europe and Asia that celebrate the body and the athletics very differently than we do than we do. Mm-hmm. And the physical and there's fat asses everywhere. Like I'm not sitting here trying to say that you go to Japan you're going to see a bunch of perfectly built people or Russia you're going to see all perfectly built people. Right. But those cultures seem to respect and understand that these are these are lifelong athletes and that's just part of being an athlete. You know, here it's like we get you to 32, we retire you, and we give you a nice little payoff. You can go off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of cool in some of these niche sports, the emphasis that other cultures give them. Like, I don't know if there's 50-year-old wrestling tournaments like for Greco-Roman style in the United States. I'm sure right. there is. I just don't know it. But I, I guess my point in all that was with everything that's going on in the world, I, I think it's kind of – a good time to double down on your health, your fitness, learn some, yeah. you know, learn a martial art, start training with the weapon. Cause like, and not to sound ridiculous and saying, be prepared and all that kind of stuff. But it's just one of those things. If you're in pursuit of something, you're getting better. And, and alone that should be the cause enough. But I just think with the instability that we see in the world and some of the horrific stuff that we see, I think a level of competence should be strived for, you know, like in, in whatever situation yep. you can be in, just chase better, learn new things, learn skills that could help you or protect you or help your friends, family, whatever. I, th- I just think, I don't know why I think it's more important now than ever, but I think you look at, the, look at the news for a few minutes, you can see why it's important. I don't know if it's more important than ever, but it doesn't feel good right now. And I would think even more so, maybe not more so than competence would be find something to get excellent right. at. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's something that we've really brushed off a lot lately. And this, and this, I think this could lead into an entire other episode of stuff. Maybe it <laughs> should. Um, because the idea of we're, like excellence as a concept has really been kind of driven out of a lot of our, like what we consume and what we're allowed to practice. Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? It's, it's not cool. An educated, capable <laughs> be, person is a dangerous person. Yeah. You know, exactly. and not dangerous to anyone, but those that would oppose them. You know, it's like most of those mm-hmm. people are super great. Like I think about Scott, my instructor, you know, if his if his motive mm-hmm. was to destroy people, he could crush everybody he met. You know, but it's like he's probably one of the more gentle, uh, good people that I w- would know. I just don't want to make him mad. <laughs> totally, totally. <You> know? <laughs> so, but yeah, we, well, maybe let's turn that into another. I think one. that would be idea. a good one. We've been rambling. All right. Well, that was a good one today, guys. Thank Appreciate you much. It. Thank you.